Well, hello everybody and welcome to the latest podcast, this one being for March 2017. It's great to have you along as always. And um, if you went to the Blackpool Convention, I hope you have now suitably recovered. I just went for 24 hours to meet a few people and uh, do one or two things that I need to do. Didn't have a stand again this year, of course. And in fact, I have to say that um, I don't know whether it was because it was the FISM Championships as well, but it seemed even more crowded than ever at the convention. And although there is something to be said, of course, certainly from the organisers' point of view, in having as many people come to the convention as possible, I think looked at from the dealers' point of view, bearing in mind that apparently there were about 150 different dealers there in attendance this year, that the amount of space afforded to the dealers and for the customers to see the dealers is very restricted, simply because there isn't really enough space for that many to attend. I mean, if you look at the main hall, which uh, the big square hall in the centre there, um, I was standing up on the balcony and I was looking down and you could see that the that the passageways in between the dealer stands, uh, especially across the centre, are very narrow indeed. In fact, if people are standing talking to one dealer facing one way and somebody else is standing facing the dealers opposite them, trying to talk to them, trying to see magic, there's barely enough room for anybody else to walk in between them without shoving past them. And it's, to be honest, not very comfortable. You know, if you're trying to make um, a buying decision, uh, you're watching a dem or you're trying to listen to what the dealer's telling you, you're trying to concentrate on the huge amount of stuff there is in front of you, and every few seconds somebody's barging past you and knock, virtually knocking you out of the way, it's not really conducive to good business. And with the sort of low lighting that's in the building, it's it's also not very bright. Uh, it just feels very crowded and and sort of dull and dim in there. And it's a pity because I'm sure that um, it that is, as I say, not really conducive for the dealers to do business. If you took 10 or more dealers out of that main hall and the centre and you spread the gaps out and you put some got were able to get in some way some better lighting in there i think it would change the whole feeling of the place and instead of it feeling a bit dingy uh, and dark and difficult to do business i think it would change the feeling and people would be able to browse for longer and simply be more comfortable doing it and in that way, of course, the dealers who were there would probably do even better business than they already do. But I suppose if you've got lots of people wanting to come and you don't want to turn many people away, then the temptation is to cram them all in. But I do think that the customer experience um, is to a certain extent suffering um, because um, of that particular attitude. But nevertheless, I'm sure the convention was great and a lot of people do love to go, of course. And there is no other convention in the world quite like Blackpool. And it's an amazing feat that every year they manage to put together such a stellar programme with so many top names uh, that enables anybody who's interested in magic to have an unbelievable few days and immerse themselves in very high quality magic fair. I guess it's a well-documented fact that these days, if you want to promote yourself for uh, paid shows, it's a lot more complex than it ever used to be. And there are so many different ways now that you can promote yourself, whether it's just from your organic Google listing, whether it's Google AdWords, whether it's Facebook ads, whether it's social media media generally. There are so many different ways to do it 
that sometimes it can be difficult to know which ones are the right ones because probably for most of us the the cost of trying to do everything both in terms of money and also time probably means that we're not going to do all of them we have to make a decision okay we're going to do this part of social media we're not going to do this part and one way to make a decision about which are the best parts of course is to carefully track where the inquiries and indeed not just the inquiries but where the bookings come from now at one time this was quite straightforward because when you had yellow pages if you put a telephone number in you could have a telephone um, a tracking number on that so that you would then get a printout of all the people who phoned this this individual number which meant that it came from this particular advert in yellow pages you'd know how many people rang you by having seen that advert but of course nowadays um, it's a lot more complex but it is still possible Google Analytics obviously will give you an awful lot of information about how many people have landed on certain pages on your website and you can tell hopefully from where the inquiries come in as to which pieces of publicity are doing the best for you. But you do have to do it and I think it's easy not to, not to bother. When an inquiry comes in you kind of deal with it and every so often you'll get a booking from it of course, well hopefully you do anyway. Um, but the ones that, that don't lead through to bookings, have you ever stopped and analysed, well, is there a common factor here? Are the inquiries, let's say, for example, coming from Google AdWords, do I ever get a follow through and an actual booking from any of those? Or am I, in fact, getting no bookings at all from Google AdWords? So I'm spending all this money on it. I'm getting the inquiries, but I'm not actually getting the bookings. Well, if you don't analyse the data, you're never going to know, are you? And that means that you could be making some very bad decisions about <clears throat> where you actually put your money and which forms of advertising you take. Now, I, I do Facebook ads and I do Google AdWords for shows. And uh, I don't run either of those uh, particular things myself. I have a company that, uh, who do it for me. And every month I get a, a, some feedback and a printout and analytics on where the inquiries have come from and that's the part that they do they give me the information you've had this many inquiries this is how much the cost for each click was of the follow-through to your website but the thing that I need to do is I then need to say okay now which of those inquiries turned into bookings and it's interesting because when you start to do this you do notice patterns I have noticed a pattern that some of the advertising works better than others and I've been trying to work out why that is. I think there is a difference between, let's say, for instance, a Facebook ad where, according to what parameters you set, your advert will come up in somebody's feed if their particular demographic fits the one that you've designated for that advert. But those people are not at that point. They're just reading their, their Facebook feed. They're not actually looking for the service that you are provided. They're not looking for a magician, perhaps, at that point. They're just reading their feed and up pops your advert. So if someone thinks, oh, that's quite interesting, and they click on it and then they make an inquiry, in a way, that inquiry has probably less chance of going right the way through to a booking than somebody who's done a bit of research uh, on Google, has looked around various websites. They are actually looking for a magician to entertain for them. And then eventually they settle on sending an inquiry through to you. 
those people are warmer leads because they've done some research. It's not something that popped up in front of them when they weren't expecting it. They were actually probably out actively looking and that's when your advert hit. And I think sometimes in certain situations that can make a difference as to whether you get the booking or whether you don't. And of course, it's in a sense, it's probably nothing really to do with what you offer, what your price is. It's down to the person making the inquiry. How serious are they about having a magician at this particular point? Or is it just a, oh, well, how much he costs? And just bang off an inquiry just in order to find out. No real definite plans, just let's see what, what the prices are like. So I think tracking the show inquiries is really, really important. And, and as I say, particularly the ones that go through to bookings. And if you do that, hopefully it will enable you to spend your advertising money uh, in a much better way. When you're a, a close-up magician or a strolling magician and you work commercially, uh, you get to talk to your audience quite often, don't you? There are times when, particularly, say, in restaurant work, where it's a little bit quiet and you've got you can spend plenty of time with each table. And, and people do like to chat. They, they like to ask you questions. And one of the questions that... Uh, there are certain questions that keep coming up, of course. But one of the questions that I find that people like to ask, they say, oh, what do you do if a trick goes wrong? And it's interesting that, that as they would see it, that is a, a major problem, that a trick might go wrong. And I suppose the reason for this is because there's a, tr a tremendous amount of emphasis in amongst the general public, anyway, on the secret, on how we do what we do and so they know that when we're performing for them we are actually concealing our methods or we're certainly trying to and that therefore it's very important that they don't work it out they don't know how it's all done we don't tell them of course magic circle code and all the rest of it they will so often remind us get you thrown out the magic circle if you tell me how that trick's done but they also um, realise that it must be terrible for you as a performer if somebody, you know, sort of, if a trick goes wrong and somebody sees how you do it. It's because method is the obsession, not only of some magicians, but actually, of course, of, course, of a lot of lay people too. Well, the truth of the matter is, if a trick goes wrong, unless it's something like sticking a spike through a spectator's hand, which, as we know, unfortunately has happened on occasion unless it's something very dangerous if a card trick goes wrong if a coin trick goes wrong to be honest with you it's not really the end of the world is it it's not rocket science it's not brain surgery it's it's not something important it's just entertainment and so the actual answer that that i always give to this is um when they say exactly this they say well what do you do when the trick goes wrong is to say, well, it's only entertainment, isn't it? It doesn't really matter, we'll just do something else. Now, of course, you hope that your tricks won't go wrong. And uh, if you practice enough and if you work enough, the actual number of times that something goes wrong and the spectators actually notice that it's gone wrong is very rare. Certainly, that's what I found anyway. But if something goes wrong, if I make a mess of something, I just laugh it off, laugh it off. Because if it's not important to me, then... Clearly, it shouldn't be important to them. And so I would just, oh dear, I made a mess of that, didn't I? Put it away and go on and do something else. And so that's the actual truth of it, isn't it? That it really doesn't matter too much if things go wrong. Yes, as I say, if you kept on making mistakes or if you do a lot of stuff very badly, then that is clearly an issue. 
but if you get the occasional slip up and let's face it we all do there are so many factors that can mess us up sometimes it can be a spectator who does something like on the occasion when I was doing a card trick I got a spectator to choose a card I looked away while the spectator took the card out of the pack unfortunately for me what I didn't realize was that the spectator had accidentally done a double lift and had taken two cards instead of one but rather than just say oh I've got two and give me one back this person kept decided to keep the two together remembered the one that was if you like on the face of the pair and actually put the two back into the deck when I offered the deck for the return so I then controlled the top card of the two the one they hadn't looked at to the top of the the pile top of the pack in order to complete the trick and then so of course the trick went completely wrong and I couldn't understand it because I knew I hadn't fluffed up the control and it was only on discussion with the spectator afterwards that I discovered that they'd actually taken two instead of one card so things like that can go can cause you to go wrong out of your control things or you may just be tired or you you try a difficult slight and it doesn't quite work or you you accidentally drop the pack of cards that was set up for something. You know, there are so many things that can go wrong. But as a general rule, does it really matter? No, not really. You just get on and do something else, don't you? A few months ago, I announced that Mark Leverage Magic was going to be going completely digital and that I would not be supplying um, any products for mail order that required me to put something into the post, but that all my entire range would be delivered either as a downloadable PDF file or as a downloadable video file or it would be part of eClub Pro um, my online learning club so where it'll be online learning and um, the date set for this changeover is the 1st of April so it's just one month away and I've been very very busy in getting a lot of the products that um, are going to form the basis of my new range um, into the right format getting them ready and not everything will be done by the 1st of April because it is an absolutely massive task um, it may not feel like it or seem like it and I probably didn't realize quite what the amount of work that was going to be involved but it's something that I really want to do and uh, for a whole range of reasons and uh, and I'm actually quite enjoying um, in doing the change of it. it's just that it's not all going to be completely finished by the 1st of April which means that between April and then the following months gradually more and more items will be coming on stream if you like and will be added to the the range of things that you can buy digitally from me but when the first April does come it looks like there's going to be well over 90 different items for you to choose from and a lot of these things have been on the website already they've been available but they've been kind of what I would say hidden almost they've been in in grouped together rather than put out in front of you individually and so one of the things that and the reason this is taking me so long is because I'm taking for instance e-routines which um, are pdf files of individual routines of mine uh, well I have 35 of those but they've all been clumped together under e-routines and not as I say put into a list all separately so I'm I'm redoing a lot of them I'm, I'm sorting them all out same with the videos and I'm making them all much more accessible so um, when it gets to the 1st of April uh, and, and thereafter do go and have a look at the website because there'll be things on there that you will not have come across before that you won't have found before even though they may well have been there for some time and hopefully you'll it'll all come up fresh it'll give you some interesting things to look at and to th and to consider and 
hopefully it'll um, it'll be something to stimulate some interest. The um, the good thing from my perspective, obviously, of doing everything digitally, uh, will be that um, there will be no delays in getting you the products because it's all instant download, and it means that um, a lot of the items which uh, in the past. Uh, for instance, to send something, a parcel to the United States, have been very expensive and increasingly expensive. And the postage is about to go up again in the next few weeks in March. So um, it constantly goes up. All those packaging and postage costs will all be removed. And it's enabled me to also, because of the method of delivery, to bring down the prices as well. So all my routines, most of which um, you don't need specialised props for anyway, and even ones that you do need, the odd things, say like an Akito box or something of that nature, you can get those readily or you may have them already. Most of my magic uses items, everyday objects, cards, coins, finger rings, that sort of thing. And so rather than it reducing down the number of things, it can in some ways increase it because I'll be able to bring more routines to the marketplace, offer you more new things um, much more quickly than I was able to do in the past. So I'm really enjoying this this process and uh, I've had one or two people say to me, so now that you're retiring, no, I'm really not retiring. I'm simply changing the way that I deliver my ideas to you. I'm not going to do any less ideas. Nothing is going to change from that point of view. It's simply that I won't be physically sending things through the post. That's the really the basically the only difference. So please don't think I'm retiring. I'm really not. I still have loads of things I want to do before I uh, put my carpet slippers on and get my pipe out. One of my little rituals at weekends on a Saturday normally is to go over to the Magic Week website and have a browse through the latest news. And um, it's a really good way, I think. It's, it's like I used to do with Abra. I used to love Abra magazine. I loved on a, either a Friday or on a Saturday morning the little brown envelope arriving with this little magazine inside every week. It was at that time, it was the only way to get up to date information about what was happening in the magic world. And of course, these days with the Internet and so on, Magic Week is the obvious replacement for Abra in terms of of getting regularly updated news. And the thing that's been striking me recently is, and I don't know whether it's just because they're listed more, but the number of lectures and lecturers who are currently going around the UK incredible numbers of people it seems to me when i first did my first lectures back in the late 1970s there were there were very few people really doing lectures there were a few notable names and then there was little me going around with my ideas but there weren't there weren't that many people now it seems that almost anybody and everybody who's who's got a little body of work is out there doing it partly this is because there are people who are organizing lecture tours for people um, and that has enabled clubs to find an easy way to to get access to people who who present a lecture. And for the lecturers themselves, of course, um, it's a way of getting their name out to lots of clubs all in one go for little or no effort. So the fact that and, and it could be, as I say, that the clubs themselves uh, are, are tending these days to send a notice into Magic Week saying we're having so-and-so lecturing at the following venue and time and so on. They didn't used to do that, but now they they nearly all seem to do that. So maybe it's just that the, the number of lecturers, although it will have gone up, 
It's not that many more, it's just that the clubs are shouting about it more than they used to. But it does make you wonder, just um, firstly, how clubs are affording it. Um, because, let's face it, numbers of people attending Magic Clubs have, in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, they have dropped. And this means that the amount of money that's available to book all this huge number of lecturers um, has got tighter. And the clubs have, obviously, the clubs will go out and do shows in which they, you know, go to a school and they'll share half the money with the school and take the other half of the funds in order to help fund their own lecture programme. But um, nevertheless, the, the number of lecturers out there, the number of offerings does put a lot of pressure on the clubs to to find money to book all these different people. And of course, if you throw into the mix the fact that international travel is so easy these days, we've got you know lecturers coming over from Europe, of course, and from the United States and, and elsewhere. So it means that the, the range of people that the average club member gets to come to their club room has also broadened out hugely. And the variety of magic, the variety of opinion and the different types of performer is so much more than it ever was. And in some ways, um, magic club members are incredibly lucky because usually at no extra cost, if they're a member of a particular club, they can get to see some top people who just walk right into their club room and entertain them and instruct them. And this, in one way, is partly, I think, why regional conventions, smaller regional magic conventions, have struggled a bit. Because in the old days, when magic clubs only had one or two big-name lecturers a year, the magic convention, the local convention, was a place that you went in order to see a whole range of top-level of top level acts. Now that's not the case, because half the time... The, when um, a lecturer comes to appear at a convention, he's also going to be probably doing some local lectures as well, or local in terms of within the UK. So club members start to think, well, actually, um, I really want to see him, but he's coming to the club room next week. I won't bother to go to the convention. And I suspect that this that the, the attraction of big-name lecturers at conventions has been reduced because so many of them are also going round to the clubs where members can see them for basically no extra charge every time they come. So it, it's a bit of a, it's a good thing in one way in that they're coming round to the, to the clubs, bad thing for the lecturer, lecture, um, for the convention, I should say, organisers who are finding it increasingly difficult to get people interested simply because they've seen everybody already. Now, some clubs have more lecturers than others, of course. Some only have two or three a year. Others have them virtually every time they have a meeting, whether that's every fortnight or every month or even every week. And um, in many ways, this is giving the average club member almost too much to absorb. Part of the reason that lecturers go around is they're hoping to sell product. Well, for the, the average attendee at a club, if he's had eight or nine lectures, lecturers attend and lectures in a year at his club and he wants to buy a little something each time, it, the money's going to be thinned out, isn't it? And so the returns for the lecturers perhaps have got less because there's just so many of them out there. So in the one way, I, I think it's great that so many top people are able to go out and tour around and that people can get to see them. In another way, though, 
when there's so many of them maybe it's thinning down it's diluting the the both the, the take and the and the and the reason that the lecturers go round is being reduced in terms of their financial take and for the club members they're almost seeing too much and they just can't absorb any more information it's 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 almost too much they get jaded with the whole thing don't know how where it's going to go where it's just going to keep on increasing doesn't show any signs of abating at the moment so the next time uh, your club says they're going to have a lecturer I suppose it may be just one of very many that you have that year. A while back, I mentioned about the online agency, for want of a better word, called Bark, who I and I expect a lot of other people signed up for uh, and who pushed towards you a lot of potential customers for, for magic shows. And uh, it's been for me anyway a very unsuccessful experience and I know of several others who have had similar experiences and I do begin to wonder whether the impact on the number of people performers that is who are bothering to respond to the inquiries that Bark sends through has been reduced I mean Bark have put up the cost the way they they make their money is they you buy credits from them and then each um, in potential show or inquiry that they push your way, if you wish to respond to it, they assign a certain number of these units to it. It could be three, it could be four, it could be five, it could be six, whatever they decide. It seems fairly random to me. I can't, can't, can't quite see what the correlation is between the number of units and the type of show. However, they probably have a system that they know about. And so you you then have to put forward your your quote through their system to the potential booker but the amount of bookings that come back is is very very few and one of the reasons for this is at the bottom of the page and i think bark have got this completely wrong for some reason they decided to put ranges of fees that the potential inquirer can expect to pay and they have three ranges they have well you won't get it for less than this most people spend between this and this. The top of the range will probably be this. I'd really like to know where they get these fees from because they are wildly inaccurate most of the time and they can never really be correct for everybody. You know, if they say something like um, for a, a close-up strolling booking or something, they say, well, you, you're unlikely to get a, a, um, an entertainer for less than £130. Well, the inference is that £130 is the starting price. Well, I don't know anybody who's who's any good at what they do charging as little as that. But, of course, the booker sees this. and th So when you quote two or three times that price, they go, well, this is ridiculous, and they don't bother to book. So it tends to push the prices down, and only those people who are prepared to, to actually um, quote very low fees are probably going to get any work. So it's 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 been very unsatisfactory, and I I don't think Bart quite understand the magic marketplace, even if it works for other things, and certainly it's not something that I found to be successful at all. It's probably true to say that very few, if any, magicians develop well in isolation. In many ways, we are all the product of, to a greater or a lesser extent, of who we hang out with who our influences are. And when I look back at my particular magical career and I think about the influences that came on me when I was young and in a very sort of 
um, strong developmental stage when I was a late teenager, early 20s. The people that I met at that stage and who influenced me a great deal set me off on a path that, from which I really never looked back. It helped me to, to develop in a way that has been tremendously beneficial for me. And I always feel very, very lucky to have been involved with these people at that specific point. And I've often thought, if I hadn't met certain people when I did, and I'd met other people who I could easily, just as easily have met, the influences that those other people would have put on me could have sent me off in a completely different direction, which might have been good, but it might not have been. And as, given the rather random nature of friendships and, and who we meet and so on, and, and who does exercise influence and the people that we listen to, because uh, sometimes you, you can, there are people who are willing to give you advice, but you don't listen to it at the time and they don't have that influence. Those people are absolutely core and key to how we develop. And I am tremendously grateful to, to the two or three individuals who have exercised an, an amazing amount of, of influence and have helped me tremendously and who still help me to this day to carry on developing um, in my magic life. So who are your influences? Did you have some people early on? Because if you didn't, you've really missed out. But if you did, maybe, just maybe, they are the ones who help push you in the right direction so that you can enjoy your magic in the right way and to the fullest extent. Right, well, there we are. There's another half an hour gone by. It's been great to have you listening. Thank you so much for taking the time and trouble to come along and uh, lend an ear to the latest podcast. I shall be back next month with some more. And in the meantime, have a good month.